Hello again, welcome back to Luxi, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science behind luxury items. This week we are continuing our birthstone steer- series and talking about rubies, which are the birthstones for July, or July, as Demos likes to say. Hey. <laughs> so, Demos, what is something you've always wondered about rubies? Well, actually, I've got a small quiz. Okay. <laughs> Ruby is one of the four precious gemstones. Do you know what all of them are? I do. This will mean we've covered all of them. Mm -hmm. Diamond, sapphire, emerald, and ruby. Cool. That was the only thing I had to wonder about. (laughs) Okay. I was wondering what biomedical applications they could have since we've learned a lot about the other four precious gemstones and how quite a few of them are used in nanotechnology. Oh, and I learned that precious gemstones are heat-treated including diamond, to improve color and clarity. Yes, there's a lot about heat treatment. I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> and that you got to be careful because you got to like heat these things up like crazy hot. Yes. But diamond, because it's a different mineral species, has carbon in it. And if you overheat diamond, it turns sooty. Yeah, rubies will do that too. Go crazy. No, well... Well, now, rubies have a different thing, though. Since rubies are aluminum oxide, carborundum, Mm-hmm. I did not see in my particular links uh, anything about it going sooty if it overheats. Well, they will go black. Oh, well, that I did not know that. Well, well we will discuss the paper that I found, okay. which was published in 1928. Well, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. So I have a brother who has a July birthday, and he's not really a jewelry person Ooh, anyway. July. Yeah, July. But he definitely wasn't getting any ruby jewelry since they are pretty pricey. And I think I said this in our episode so cheap. on Garnet's. That I have always liked dark red of garnets more than rubies. Mm-hmm. But I'm coming around. Coming around to rubies. Kind yeah, of. you're always coming around to the expensive stuff. But interestingly, rubies are often confused with spinels, though they are very different minerals. Not spinels. I don't know. I didn't yeah, look up the pronunciation. Yeah, I didn't look it up. Do you have any ruby experiences? No. I don't think I've ever owned or known of any rubies. Be interesting. Oh, yes. <gasps> I do, I do. Okay, I do. let's hear Lots it. of ruby experience. Oh boy. Ruby is better than steel as used in bearings for, of all things, clocks. So when you see when you see a nice wind up like a um, wristwatch or something, it'll say yeah. like seven jewels. The jewels are rubies. Mm. The rubies are the bearings for the gears. Very cool. So background on rubies. Rubies as you have said, are part of the corundrum mineral family, along with sapphires, which means they are composed primarily of aluminum oxide. By contrast, spinel or spinel contains magnesium as well as aluminum, so it's the difference between the composition of the two. The red color is caused by chromium impurities in the crystal, and this also causes fluorescence. They have the highest per carat cost of any gemstone. They are, in fact, more expensive than diamonds. Yes, especially as they get larger, because oh, they're yes. so hard to find. Yes, the larger ones, the that that lovely curve you made for pearl, it's kind of just like a steep incline. So, fun fact, here in the U.S., there's a minimum color saturation that must be met for a stone to be called a ruby, otherwise it's a pink sapphire. Whereas international gemological societies have widened the definition of a ruby to include the paler pink varieties. But it is essentially a pink sapphire. Because yes. remember we talked about all the different color impurities yeah. that make the different colors? Or, yeah, and sapphire and ruby are both corundrum. Corundrum, yeah. But you know, we, there's like a list of all the different impurities that make the different colors of sapphires. Mm-hmm. Rubies are just pink and red ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. chromium. 
The most valuable rubies are from Myanmar, the Himalayas, and northern Vietnam, and they are formed in marble. Fun fact, marble is formed when heat and pressure act on limestone deposits. Marble has a low iron content, so the rubies formed in marble have a low iron content and an intense red color. They also fluoresce red in ultraviolet light, including sunlight, and so appear even more intensely red. Rubies can also form in basalt, which can have a higher iron content, making them darker red but less intense in color. So now, brief little bit of history, if we may. Yes. The word ruby comes from the Latin word ruber, or red. Rubies are mentioned four times in the Bible in association with beauty and wisdom. The Sanskrit word for rubies is ratnaraj, or king of stones. The earliest recorded occurrence of ruby trade is on the northern Silk Road. In 200 BC, rubies were recorded as part of a trade west from China. In Burma, or Miramar, warriors carried rubies to make them invincible in battle, but it wasn't enough to wear the rubies. They inserted them into their flesh and made them part of their bodies. Yes. Okay, Demos, what did you find for industrial science uses of rubies? All right. The industrial science of rubies starts with the creation of synthetic rubies. Mm -hmm. One of the classic approaches is by fusing alumina, which is Al3O2, at a high temperature with a small amount of chromium as a pigment. Okay. This fusing process, I assume, is done at a high enough temperature mm -hmm. to create what we call a sintering process, where you crush alumina and in the process of oxygen creates Al3O2. Do you have to have pressure I haven't done research on, on how sintering works. Oh, that's okay. You can keep going. Sintering. I know I should have. Sintering is a thermal process of converting loose, fine particles into a solid, coherent mass by heat and or pressure mm. without fully melting the particles to the point of melting. So the sintering process is essentially a shortcut to gotcha. creating the molecular So instead of structure. taking like eons of pressure... It's, you know, however much time it takes in the lab. So depending on where you go for your research, it's a combination of either heat or pressure or both. Right. Probably depends to, on what you're making. Without melting to liquefaction. Yeah. And so that means that you can create essentially that, that crystal structure. Mm -hmm. And indeed, most ceramics that we use, industrial ceramics, are based on a crystal structure that is created due to sintering. Marc Antoine Gaudin made the first synthetic rubies by doing this. Cool. Next to the diamond, ruby is the hardest gemstone. Yes. It is resistant to acids and other harmful substances. And because large gem quality rubies are so rare, the value of a fine ruby may be quadruple that of a similar quality diamond. Oof. Natural rubies are found in a handful of sites around the world, such as Myanmar, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Taganyika, and... North Carolina. North Carolina. Very exotic. Where it's July. Yes. It's July every month in North Carolina. <laughs> Rubies and sapphires are both composed of corundrum. Yes. Which is the crystalline form of aluminum oxide, but they differ in the small amounts of chromium that gives rubies their characteristic color. Right. We talked about that. We did. And I may They're pink sapphires. Yes. <laughs> In addition to their decorative functions, rubies serve a broad range of practical purposes. For example, because of their hardness, they make long-lasting thread guides for textile machines. Very mm -hmm. important in North Carolina. That's Ruby is even go. harder than steel, 
So it is an excellent bearing material for metal shafts and devices like watches, compasses, electric meters of the old-fashioned style that rotated. Right. Rubies have an exceptional wave-transmitting property that makes them ideal for uses in lasers. And they are built on some of the technology that was called a maser or um, molecular, otherwise known as microwave amplification from the stimulation emission of radiation. There are also other laser-like devices that are based on the original Ruby laser. But one of the things we can thank Ruby for Mm -hmm. is that it did create the first ever visible laser. Interesting. In fact, some of the earliest demonstrations of Ruby came from balloons placed in the lecture hall where the laser was being turned on. And only red balloons that could absorb the same color wavelength that the Ruby laser was putting out would pop. Really? Yeah. The blue balloons and and green balloons wouldn't pop. And that had to do with the fact that the Ruby laser has a very specific wavelength. Yes, it's very narrow. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right around, was it 694, I think? Millimeters, which is red. Now, a very powerful laser can pop any balloon regardless of color. Yeah, I mean, they, there's a certain amount of heat associated with a laser. But it was pretty amazing because it was the first ever demonstration of a useful application of a laser. Well, I don't know if popping balloons is that useful. Yeah, but when you think about it, if, if, you're, if your enemy is flying overhead in a gondola suspended by large red balloons then uh, you have the ultimate doomsday weapon, and that gondola will come crashing to Earth along with all of its very specific use case. (laughs) Along with all of its hipster warriors. So in any case, these red lasers were created Theodore Maiman. The interesting story about Theodore Maiman was that he was told by a General Electric representative about a fascinating new xenon tube that was created at GE. Mm. And he was telling Theodore this at a conference, saying, you know, these xenon flashbulbs are so powerful that if you have a Brillo pad or steel wool in close proximity mm-hmm. while the xenon pad is pulsing, the pulse will catch on fire that steel wool. Immediately, Maiman thought, how about if I take this and recreate some of these Einstein relativity processes where we elevate the entire rod of ruby to another um, to another energy level and this is the um, atom the the absorbing the absorption energy of going to the next valence level right and then after the excitation occurs with a xenon flash mm-hmm. the entire rod of ruby relaxes back to its original level and so the entire rod right. becomes an emitter of light But the next step is polishing both ends of a ruby rod at the wavelength needed for the emission spectrum of that photon, Mm -hmm. that particular wavelength that the ruby would emit at. And in the process of doing that, after multiple flashes of the xenon tube, because that's the other thing is these flashing tubes could go off very quickly, these strobe lights, if you will, the ruby started radiating its own powerful red light. Mm. So the way you make a laser is you take a a rod of ruby, essentially, make one end 100% mirror-like and the other end 50% mirror-like, and then let the light oscillate back and forth 
and making also making sure that the rod is tuned or cut to the correct length, correct right. multiple of the wavelength of the light that's being generated. Mm -hmm. And then you have a laser. It's that simple to make a laser. And even to this day, the very crude laser that was made by Theodore Maiman is still taken out and demonstrated as a useful laser. And it's a visible light laser. Interesting. Yeah. So there are a lot of other laser technologies that exist now, and they're many more efficient than the Ruby laser. Mm -hmm. But the Ruby laser is, is the first and foremost. Yeah, I just wanted to add, because you talked about valence energies, right? And mm -hmm. that's a very sciencey term. It is. Yeah. So what you're really talking about is that, you know, atoms occur with this kind of cloud of electrons around them. And they always occur in the kind of lowest energy level because that's easiest for them. And the word and the etiology of valence is belt. <laughs> yeah, so it's belt or cloud. You know, in, in, you know, we remember drawing them in like middle school and it was like the nucleus and then you have like rings of electrons, mm -hmm. but it's not that clear. It's not that yeah. distinct in, in this natural environment. But if one of the atoms absorbs energy then the electrons move a valence level mm -hmm. or they move an, an energy into the outer orbits of the atom and then the atom is excited. But I, yeah, yeah, I explained that earlier. Yeah. No, you just said valence. My point was is that when you go to a different energy activation level at a different band or a different yeah. belt, a different valence, yeah. you drop back. And the point is, is the dropping back releases the photon. Right, I'm just... I wanted to explain valence a little bit since last year in sixth grade biology class. Talk about some biomedical uses for rubies? I would love to. Okay. I'm sure everyone knows someone who has had radiation therapy for cancer. And one of the challenges of radiation therapy is knowing that you're giving the dose that you want to give to the patient right at the site of the tumor. So rubies are being investigated as inorganic scintillation detectors for measuring the quality of radiation therapy in vivo. In vivo means in a in something live, but in this mm -hmm. case it means in yeah. a person. Yeah. So scintillation detectors are... So a scintillator is a material that luminesces or lights up when excited by ionizing radi radiation. And so a scintillation detector detects that luminescence. It's a way to measure radiation exposure. So usually it's a scintillation material and a photodetector that converts the light from the luminescence into an electrical signal. That's how you know there's radiation present, right? So Gustavo Kurtzscher and Sam Bedar published an article in Physiology, Medicine, and Biology Journal in 2017 looking at rubies to detect the quality of radiotherapy and brachytherapy dosimetry. So the brachytherapy is radiation therapy that's put inside your body. Mm-hmm. Rocky meaning uh, deep, deep therapy. That's actually, thank you for doing that, because I was, I, in my head I had it as brachiotherapy, thinking it was like something no. with the lungs, yeah. but it's not. And dosimetry is a determination or measurement of the amount of radiation exposure. So back to the paper, the authors argue that these inorganic scintillation detectors have several advantages, including that they're small, so they can be put into the brachytherapy catheters, like right into the tumor region, so they're close to the target. And energy and temperature dependencies of these scintillation uh, detectors can be easily corrected for. So if they can't be too hot or too cold, like you, you can adjust for that. They also emit a red wavelength like rubies as they should yes and this allows for the removal of the 
Cherenkov? Cher yes, Cherenkov radiation, which is a blue light that's generated in the presence of neutron flux. Yes, and fluorescence effects. And so the removal of these two effects is really helpful because these are produced by the fiber optic cable that links the detector volume in, with the photo detection system. And as you said, they're blue. And so if you have something that is luminescing red, you won't have an overlap between those. And so you won't be accidentally detecting fluorescence or the Cherenkov. You can correct for the proper radiation signature. Yes. So there's, also, there's a wide variety of materials that can produce scintillation intensities much longer, larger than the organic compounds, the inorganic ones, and this allows for the measurement of much smaller doses. So rubies are especially good inorganic scintillation materials as they have a narrow emission spectrum near 694 nanometers, which is red, and this overlaps less with the Trenkov and fluorescence interference that we just mentioned. Although the inorganic materials are better at detecting low doses, the authors of this paper wanted to see if the rubies could be used for high dose rate dosimetry and compared them to plastic scintillation detectors. They found that the rubies introduced some error due to their own luminescent properties, which we discussed in the intro. Mm -hmm. But they using a filter between the ruby crystal and the fiber optic cable could suppress the photoluminescence. So in summary, U rubies could be allowed for very precise dosimetry and quality control of in vivo radiation therapy. Yes. Which I think would be uh, quite an advancement to the technique. Well, yes. Also, there are situations where you could use a really tiny photo, like you could use a really, uh, an injectable. It would even be on the end of the hypo, hypo needle of, of a fiber optic cable and then place in there a tiny ruby simulator. Yeah, that's what they did. That technique, that technology for me sounds like a great way to use something that you're not worrying about putting into your body. Correct. Because like other other types of, of emitters are that um, scintillators are cesium iodide, mm. which you don't want to put into your body. No. And lanthanum iodide, also something you don't want to put no. into your body. Um, those are very efficient emitters and are well characterized for radiation measurement. But um, if you could do something with just good old-fashioned ruby, all the better. Yeah. And then do you remember how earlier I said it's relatively easy to confuse ruby and spinel? Yeah. So the authors of a 2019 paper in Scientific Reports came up with a way to etch a QR code on a stone as a way of authentication. Mm. So they used natural diamond and synthetic ruby and sapphire and a femtosecond laser to etch a micro QR code onto the stones. Now, a femtosecond laser is an infrared laser with a wavelength of 1,053 nanometers. It emits bursts of energy at a very fast rate, femtoseconds. Yep. And so it's, is it nano, pico, femto? Yes, femto yeah. is 10 to the minus 12. I thought so. Thank you. No, know. so it's pico Fem and then femto. That's yeah, what it so is. that's 10 to the minus 15. So it's na micro, nano. Nano is 10 to the minus 9. Micro is 10 to the minus 6. Pico. Pico is 10 to the minus 12. Femto. Pico is 10 to the minus 15. Yeah. You can Google it. My better. <laughs> so these lasers were introduced in the U.S. in the 1990s. And do you know what they're used for primarily? What? LASIK eye surgery. Hmm. Yeah. So the authors were successful in entering etching micro dots onto the stones, which they verified by optical and electronic microscopy. Electron microscopy. 
This could allow the jewelry industry to micro-encrypt stones without the current paper trail, because now there's a huge paper trail with stone Mm -hmm. authentication, and without the need to remove the stone from the setting to re-authenticate it anytime it changes hands. Nicely done. I thought that was really cool. You know those QR codes, and now it's all scanning them for the menus. You could scan one for your jewelry. I haven't been to a restaurant yet with a menu at the table. I have to pull out my phone. I have to to say I'm with the boomers on this one. I don't like the QR code. I don't know. I like it. I think it's going to be cool. (laughs) Um, and then finally for something interesting at least for us nerds I found a paper from 1928 by L. Nichols and H. L. Howes from Cornell published in the Protocols of the National Academy of Sciences this is an investigation of the luminescence of rubies under cathode and photo excitation they found that among other observations the activator is chromium in a solid solution with aluminum oxide that the aluminum oxide is very sensitive to activation by chromium. It was hard to produce aluminum oxide that did not glow red, or ruddy, as they put it, when subjected to the cathodo bombardment, and that strictly pure aluminum oxide did not glow. And there's a bunch of other things, but it was really interesting because it's probably the first published report of chromium's impact on ruby color and the luminescent properties of the ruby. Mm, So that was kind of interesting. I love the the old-school throwback papers. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, glossary time. All right. Scintillation detectors are, what do you think? Well, scintillation is um, the glowing that occurs in the presence of some sort of uh, photon source, like uh, gamma rays or something. Mm-hmm. And so, a scintillation detector glows in the presence of gamma rays. Yes. Breaky therapy? Well, um, we talked about how it means uh, deep therapy or radiation therapy uh, inside a living a living object. Yeah, inside the body. Yeah. And dosimetry is the determination or measurement of the amount of radiation exposure. And then mm-hmm. femtosecond laser. Yes, which is 10 to the minus 15. Uh, thank you for confirming. I'm glad we rem- remembered our... our uh, mm-hmm. Our metric system for yes, me from do. all the serial dilutions I used to make in the lab. So, fun cocktail party facts. What makes rubies red? Chromium. What's the difference between a ruby and a pink sapphire? More chromium. <laughs> or not much. And what's the connection between rubies and LASIK eye surgery? That's what uh, ruby lasers. No. So you can... No. LASIK eye surgery uses the femtosecond laser and you can also use those lasers to etch a qr code onto rubies okay oh i see yeah the femtosecond laser i don't think is a ruby laser oh well we should find out what laser it is well you do that and i'll do a little end of episode spiel go for it so you spent another 20 minutes with us and we hope you feel a little smarter for it thank you for going on this journey of discovery with us about all things ruby we hope you remember a little fact about rubies the next time you see someone wearing one or someone mentions their LASIK surgery, because that would be a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxi. A very special thank you to my audio engineer and co-host, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. You can find us and our blog at luxi.podcastpage.io. We're all over social media at LuxiPod, and we've recently started a YouTube channel. You guessed it, Luxi Podcast. You can listen to our episode there, and we're going to start making some additional content for YouTube in the next month or so. You're going to want to turn in, tune into that 
and our Instagram page in September as we start chronicling our year spent in Greece. Yes, very exciting. You'll get a mashup of expat fun, history, and of course, some luxurious science. Lastly, don't forget to tell two people about the podcast. Referrals is how we grow. Neodymium, yttrium, uh, silver laser, or ND gag laser is what's used as spectacles. Well, there you go. Got it from the source here. All right. See you guys later. (laughs) Bye.